Hello and welcome back to Unleash Your Peace. My name is Ali Shoja. I am your host. I'm a positive mindset coach, a personal transformation expert, a deliberate creator, and your peace trainer. And Unleash Your Peace, this podcast over here, is your peace training. It's where we dive into different aspects about the internal world every single week. Because that's exactly where your joy resides, your peace, your creativity, everything that you love about life is within you. And we want to unlock that. We want to unleash it because when you live from this place of joy and peace and connectedness to that infinite beingness of you, that non-physical potential of you, you don't just incrementally improve the quality of your life, you actually exponentially innovate every aspect of your experiences on this physical plane you become whole you become the powerful creator you have come here to be and you become an uplifter in your family in your community and that trickles out into the world at large this is our wish for you this is our wish for everyone on this planet because that's essentially how we level up as a human race we enter the next stage of our evolution when we live in this way all right so this week i am joined once again by your co-host the purple-haired nilu naderi hello i would say lavender color yes it is lavender today <laughs> it is lavender today <laughs> it was purple yesterday <laughs> and we have a very special guest with us today and this episode is going to resonate with you if you have kind of a socially difficult job if you're in politics if you're a lawyer if you have a job where you deal with a lot of difficult human situations I suffering would say. public suffering, health public health. public health yes this is going to really resonate with you because the person we have on is a lawyer she actually is an immigration attorney and she has a very strong mindfulness practice we have with us Leila Hamushian. Hello. Hello, Leila. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so excited. It took a lot of coaxing to get her here, didn't it, Nilu? <laughs> it did. And we had several things we could bring you in for, right? Oh, but God. We, we wanted Mindful Lawyering to be yes. the first of potentially many episodes with Leila. <laughs> That's the, the Gemini that has four or five you know, personalities. I thought it was just two. No, it's more. So, Leila... Tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do. I went to UCLA for my undergrad and my Uh oh. I was at USC. I should have known I should have never done this podcast. Okay. It was a trap so the, 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 the Trojan versus Bruin is a whole different story. Anti Dermine wins. But while I was at Aunt UCLA we yeah. won seven years in a row at the football team. Why were you there it, for seven years? <laughs> while I was there Okay. <laughs> Tangent. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, I'm a very. This interview. I'm very serious person, by the way. Yes, we can. We can I can tell. see it from that <laughs> twinkle in your eye. Layla dressed up in a really beautiful dress. I think you might be the first guest to really dress up to show up to to our podcast. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know if you're aware, there's no cameras. I dress up for you guys. <laughs> I not, know. Not we for love the, it. Well, not for the camera. And you wore a hat. And I know this is your year of wearing hats. So that's awesome. Yes. Thank you. Which you had to take off to put the <laughs> headphones on. Okay, let's focus. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Comes out the lawyer. All right. So, so you went to UCLA for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I was actually UCLA 
for four years and my degree was in psychology. So I was planning on going and studying, getting a master's as a, or becoming a psychologist. And I guess we want to get into the story of what happened, how I switched lanes and went to law school. Yeah, why, yeah. Did, why did you asked go me to law that, So let, we'll get to that right away. My last year of college, I got a job at a nonprofit and they were doing housing law and housing rights and helping different kinds of people with housing discrimination. And I had an office administrative job. And what I did over there was I was in charge of a project that came out of a huge class action lawsuit against Denny's. For our audience, can you explain what a class action lawsuit is? Sure. So the class action starts when one representative represents a whole class of plaintiffs. So you don't have to bring in individual lawsuits, and that's that's basically for efficiency of the courts. Usually class actions are in, in civil courts and for money damages. So there's a bunch of people who were wronged in a specific way. Many, many people. Numerosity is one of the elements of class action. Ah. So you have to have a lot of people, and you have to show that so you can bring a class action. But the, the case against Denny's was brought by many plaintiffs, and on behalf of many plaintiffs who were discriminated at Denny's. And I can't remember the, the exact name of the case at this point, but this probably goes back 25 years. And it, at that point, it was very well known. Mostly people of color were discriminated in, uh, different differently at, at when they went to eat at Denny's restaurants. What I managed was the, the post-settlement project and post-settlement enforcement. So the case had already been settled and the court had mandated Denny's throughout the LA area, but Denny's all over uh, through to be mandated to go through this enforcement procedures where they had to pass these tests to make sure they're not doing it anymore. So it wasn't just like they were sued and it was done. The courts wanted to make sure that it, the, the practice of discrimination again. is not going to continue, continue to happen. Mm. So we what we did is we tested them by sending out testers. Okay. Like a secret shopper. Yes. So what we did, we had different groups. Well, we had a group of, for example, white, uh, Caucasian, whatever the correct name is these days. You know, I'm very politically incorrect anyway. But we send them out as a controlled group. And then we also send out either a group of diverse people of color. Sometimes they were like, either they were black and Asians or whatever. We send them out at the same time. Okay. To go eat at Denny's. And then they had to go, they had to sit, go order, pay, eat, come out. And then they had to fill out a questionnaire about their experience. But it all had to be at the same time. Mm. And it, it was very interesting because they did that. And then they send us the results. And it was another research that we were doing, right? And then what it came back was at, still at many of the restaurants, they were being discriminated in different ways. One of the ways was that the wait time to be seated was longer if you were of an ethnic group. Oh, wow. That white people got seated faster. That was one of the things we tested. The other so thing that came out was that the bill that they got had more mistakes and sometimes people of color were charged more. For items? For Ooh. items they never ate or whatever. Wow. That was huge. So we went back and then we had to go through the enforcement. We had to call Denny's corporate and then they had to do what they did is they 
they would send out what they called diversity training, whatever, however you want to call it. So they make sure that these employees are not, this is not something they're doing it consciously, that they're not discriminating. Out of that experience, I think I was there for about six months. I was very inspired by the practice of law and the power of court action and the power that the attorneys have. And I was very inspired by the woman who brought the class action at that point. So I read up on her. So that was the turning point. I decided to uh, put off the graduate school in psychology, took a year off, took the LSAT, applied to law school, and wanted to become a lawyer to make a difference like that. And why did you choose immigration law? In the beginning, I didn't. When I graduated, I was practicing as a general civil litigator. So I was in courts, you know, handling different kinds of lawsuits uh, in civil court, nothing criminal. And that's because that's just the path. You know, you graduate, you get a job offer and you kind of are put in that route. And then you want to you want to learn and get trained anyway. So I did that for several years until I decided that that's not really where my passion was. Mm-hmm. And just kind of by happenstance and and people that that came to me and wanted help with immigration at that point, I decided to go took workshops and I became trained as an immigration lawyer. And slowly I've kind of changed my practice into it's almost a full time immigration practice now. So law school's not like med school where you like go to residency for a specific specialty after medical school. No, you kind of figure it out in the field. And then you can do additional certifications or training. Yes, absolutely. Although I can't tell you what it is now. (laughs) Like, I think there's more that there's the last year of law school. Now they give you more direction as to what kind of field you want to go into. But for most people that I, I remember from my class, they just got a job offer and they went. You know, they became employment lawyers because they got a job offer at an employment law firm and they kind of wanted to take it because you got to get out there and work and pay your loans off. It's very, I think it's really hard to choose in the beginning. Although people who go into criminal work, they go and they specifically apply for criminal defense or um, go to the district attorney's office. They probably have some kind of interest in, in practicing criminal law. So Leila, I met you at a meditation retreat, at a Vipassana retreat. We were both serving. Yes. And we were rooming together. Yes. You were there for four days. I was there for 11 days. And during those four days, we bonded and we realized that we live literally five minutes from each other. Yes. And so, had mutual friends. And had mutual friends. So started this friendship that has now expanded into five years of us being in each other's lives and we share a lot of friends and family and so forth but what brought you to that meditation retreat in the first place like what started this whole spiritual journey that you're on in the first place because a lot of people who are in these types of roles, right? Lawyers, politicians, you don't necessarily think that they have a spiritual practice. It's kind of like everybody, it's an oxymoron. Oh, haha, lawyers who meditate. It's always a funny thing. <laughs> always. It, it, even now, if I post something on, on my Instagram, some of my other friends will, will make fun of it. Your lawyer friends or your non-lawyer friends? Non-lawyer friends, even lawyer friends. It just sounds like such an oxymoron. And when I go to my lawyer meditation group once a month, 
it's like a support group for lawyers and we do talk about that whole issue in the field of law because i mean you're trained to think really well right as a lawyer like your your brain is your tool and anticipating what people are going to do and say and kind of beating them to the punch but in meditation you're bringing that all to pause yes so is that why it's kind of like an oxymoron yes plus the fact that that it's a highly stressful highly anxious field to be in and a lot of lawyers including myself way back we probably just can't even sit for two minutes so going back to your question how how it, it all happened i'm trying to remember at what point it was that i first started thinking okay that i got i need i need to deal with the stress that my job is causing me and i think it was very early on i want to say i had only been practicing for a couple of years at a law firm and i was with a firm that i had to do billable hours and if you don't know what billable hours are i'll explain it to you it's basically you get hired and you are supposed to work and bill show billings that are about 200 hours a month that's like on average some firms are lower if, if you're really at a good firm it's 1800 hours a year whatever that comes out to because i don't do math but uh, and Nilu knows that i don't do math okay how about spreadsheets <laughs> never definitely no spreadsheets. no spreadsheets ever but the spreadsheets will help you not do math i i'm a talker <laughs> i have other skills besides spreadsheets okay. but anyway what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, billable hours is a sad and funny subject at the same time. So, what that does to you is that that means you're chained to your desk about 14 hours a day because you can't bill for every hour that you're sitting there breathing. Um, out of the 14 hours, if you can bill for a seven or eight, you're lucky. Okay. Wow. And then you have to come in on the weekends and show your face. So, while I was at the firm, uh, although I now send those uh, partners in the firm all of all of my blessings because they taught me a lot i was expected to show up saturday or sunday or, or one day or both days and just show my face and even if you're not doing anything no you need to be working okay no so if they don't see you they'll come to your office and they'll have a talk with you and they explain that you need to bill and you need to be here on the weekends and i think after some time of doing that I woke up one day and realized that I'm very unhappy as a person that I went through all this I went through law school and my life is out of balance and I'm stressed out and I'm tired and that's not where I want to be was the stress also having some physical repercussions within you absolutely I think it had gone to a point where it was causing digestive issues my immune system was down, so I was probably getting sick a lot. Mm -hmm. And then if you call out mm -hmm. sick, that doesn't mean you you can't, you're going to not bill. You're going to bill at home. <laughs> and my my good <laughs> friends who did a lot of those years in the law firms like that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You can bill from the hospital, even if you go to the ER, because there's something you could be doing. Wow. But anyway, so then I, I got to a very low point, and then I decided that I need to make a change. Now, what happens with a lot of lawyers as you may know, uh, they go towards alcohol yeah. and drug abuse. And alcoholism, drug abuse is a high, high, it's very high amongst lawyers. I think the, the state bar shows some numbers. It's about about 25%, like one-fourth of lawyers 
go through alcoholism or drug abuse. And we have mandatory continued education that we have to submit every three years. And about a couple hours of them is on alcoholism. So it's a serious problem in the legal field, in the legal community. And because of all the stress, it, it just makes sense that if you can't, if you don't have other tools, what are you going to do? You have to unwind somehow. And I, I think that, that if I hadn't switched lanes, either I had to quit the practice of law. I, I remember specifically, I had an option. I said, I have to quit, but I, I didn't know what to do, what else to do. And I had, you know, loans and, and I, you know, spent all these years of my life learning about it. So it was either that or finding tools to deal with and manage the stress. And I was blessed enough or fortunate enough to have found my way into uh, a yoga studio and finally into the meditation practice. It took longer to, to have a regular meditation practice. I think the yoga came first. And you have your teacher training, don't you? Yeah, and I yoga. years later I did a yoga yoga teacher's training in Santa Monica that, and that was very personal. I just wanted to do it get get more in depth with yoga, but I didn't really think I was going to become a full-time yoga teacher. I mean that there's a lot of memes about quitting your day job and becoming a full-time yoga teacher. I I think I was fortunate enough to have found my way into that. And then after a few years, I did go to the Vipassana silent retreat for 10 days. It took me a long time to find the the courage to go because I had heard that it was going to be very difficult and Mm -hmm. for lawyers who talk a lot, um, (laughs) especially people (laughs) and lawyers. But but the funny thing is when, when my first 10 days that I got there, the first day, you know, um, Ellie knows that you're allowed to talk to people yes. and you get there, you kind of get to know people. Until the evening. The yeah, stars. until 7 p.m. Right. when they start <laughs> noble silence. So, you know, I remember I got there, I talked to... that's day zero. That's day zero, right. Yes. They call that day zero. And then I met a few people. I met, I met a girl and I told her I'm a lawyer and she was like, wow, how are you going to handle this? <laughs> <laughs> and... So I said, I don't know, we'll see, right? And then during the meditation, while we were there, um, you know, you could see, you can you can't talk to people, but you see where people are, people are walking, you kind of observe people, you can't really talk or look at them. And I remember seeing that girl and she would walk, she would do these like really fast paced walks at lunch, <laughs> like super anxious <laughs> walks. And I felt bad for her. So after we were done and we opened up, to talk again this is like day 10 yeah i went up to her i'm like are you okay like i remember seeing you you were doing really fast walk she's like oh my god i was dying i wanted a gun i wanted to put a gun on my (laughs) my head but she's like but i was thinking about you (laughs) this is a true story she's like i was thinking about you and i was thinking i wonder what the lawyer's doing So, so this this meditation retreat is so interesting. If uh, you've never gone and you feel after this description, you feel compelled, you <laughs> or know, not. Th- th- that means <laughs> it's time for you to go. But it's a completely yeah. silent meditation retreat. So when I got there, um, what they told us is that you have, as a first time meditator, you have no job, nothing. You're not supposed to do anything. And all you need to do is meditate because that's what you're here for. And especially it's your first time, they need to break into you, right? Right. We're not supposed to clean. They have the older students, what they call old students, sorry, uh, second time 
or third time people, they have a cleaning schedule. So they were in charge of cleaning the, the common areas, yeah, um, the bathrooms, the bathrooms the or if they're serving, right? And they had their names on the list. So we were at an outdoor camping facility in Hawaii and everything was outdoor and we had these, anyway, it was beautiful. But at the first couple of days or maybe until the third day when they start teaching Vipassana, I noticed that the bathrooms were not being cleaned. <laughs> <laughs> to, to your level of to my level or the trash was not taking was not being taken out regularly or whatever so a part of one of the things i went to the manager to was that what's going on with the bathroom cleaning who's doing it they're not do- i said they're not doing their job and at that point she told me it's none of your business <laughs> and they put me on timeout <laughs> And they said, you're not supposed to look at the bathroom trash. And I think at that point, I was mad. (laughs) I didn't get it. I didn't understand what was happening in my mind and my reactions. I didn't understand it. I think on day seven or eight, I had a realization. Which was? Which was how my mind, in Buddhism and even in inside meditation, they call it the fixing mind. The mind that wants to solve all the problems of the world and fix everything. And that's how you need to sit with that mind and then tame it. The, mm-hmm. the, pur- the purpose of inside meditation or Vipassana is to tame the mind and the mind that tells people what to do, the mind that criticizes how things are run. That's the purpose. So by day seven, when I had almost died <laughs> through the process, you do. I think yeah. seven or eight, it, yeah. was, it was late through the process. There's, when there's something inside you that, that really shifts in a yeah. big way by, by day eight, nine, yeah. ten. You, day eight. You don't come out the same person. No. So day eight, I think they, I had a day where I was really, really sad. I think it was six, I don't know, mm-hmm. six or seven. And, and just just wanted to get out. I started um, cleaning up and packing, even though it was day six. I wanted to leave. And that was really a bad day. And then I think I woke up on day seven and uh, I was fine. Mm-hmm. I was light. And then they talk about impermanence. They talk mm-hmm. about when, when feelings come up, how you just sit through them and you breathe through them. And they, they what do they call it? What is it? Passing. What is it? What is it? Anitra, and then something about, I can't remember the phrase, he was uh, something and passing, things pass. Mm -hmm. So by day seven or eight, when I was feeling happy, and I even had like moments of exuberance, like I was just sometimes really high and happy. I was like, oh, look at that. Look at the mood swings, things that come and go. So if you're feeling depressed, you know, on a Monday morning, it doesn't mean you're going to be depressed on Monday afternoon. Right. But the mind can tell you, oh, I am depressed today and I'm going to be depressed all day and all week. Oh, this is such a bad Monday. And, you know, it's interesting, this impermanence, right? Because when we dive into that space of spirituality where our soul, our spirit resides, instinctively, we understand this impermanence that you talk about. Everything is impermanent. Your breath comes and goes. The cells in your body are are changing, replacing themselves mm-hmm. every moment. The seasons come and go. Your food doesn't last forever in the fridge, right? So everything is constantly in this process of deteriorating and also re- uh, replenishing itself. Right. But when we are in those dark 
places within ourselves, like when we're depressed, when we're angry, when we're frustrated, something happens where we, whenever we tap into that ego mind, to the ego, everything is permanent. Everything Correct. is always and never. Right. So I'm always going to feel this way. I'm never going to be happy. And that's actually an indicator that you are in the ego mind and you're not in your spirit. Right. Because if you're using those words to describe your situation, you're not living from your spirit. You're, you're, you're in that ego mind. And at that stage, I think if you can consciously know that it's my ego that's telling me this is permanent and nothing is permanent, it just allows it to pass. Of course, I agree with you, but I think the what Vipassana does to you in the 10 days, you, as as Goenka says, who's the, the, who was the head teacher who brought Vipassana out to, to, to the West, is that you, we can talk all, about all that, but in Vipassana, you get to experience that's it right. mm -hmm. in every cell of your body. So it's an, ex he, call, he continually calls it experiential right experience. experiential so that's, right. that's that's how you get you do the shift happens because of direct experience mm -hmm. yes. not somebody telling you and not reading a book a theory right, right. yeah uh, that's that's the power Layla. so you got into yoga meditation to help manage and maybe even prevent the stress but how did it actually change your practice as a lawyer there's a few things that happened it came to a point where going through the the highly litigated cases and dealing with clients and the opposing counsel going to court dealing with judges or even now with the with the clients who are going through immigration helping them or even you know going through the process myself dealing with the government and everything i think it gave me insight to first of all being present with suffering that's going on around and all kinds of suffering and being okay not fixing it yeah right because you can't fix everything right and being present with the cases that you don't win but i think it shifted the way i handled it and how i i was able to see my clients in a different perspective i have a client now he's they've been with us for two years the case is ongoing it's almost done I remember he called me two years ago and we talked on the phone for a consult and he said that before he called me he had and he told me his story about you know how his fiance was in Spain and he wanted to bring her here and he said that he had called three or four other lawyers before he called me and that none of them wanted to hear the story that he had that they all asked a certain like set questions they were really like just to the point and then they wanted to get to the retainer, whatever that was. And he said to me, you were the first lawyer that listened to my story, really listened and w had some kind of an interest in my story and didn't treat me like a transaction mm -hmm. or another transaction, yeah. like as a human story. I'm saying this not to take the credit, but I, I think I give the credit to the practice of meditation right, right. because it brings and me presence. to the present moment it, and it, it gives me more interest in the human story than just running a practice that's transactional yeah because you're not thinking ahead to when that money's going to hit your bank account you're present with this human being right now in this moment and if you are present in this moment with another human being you're going to be interested in the story i don't know if this statistic uh, applies to law but i know in medicine accidents happen all the time 
doctors make mistakes, nurses make mistakes, but the ones who actually get sued are when the patient feels that the doctor wasn't present. And they mm -hmm. don't use that word present, it's how engaged they are in the doctor-patient exchange. So if they feel like that doctor was totally present, asking them questions, really cared about the case, but God forbid, amputated the wrong leg, let's say, there is still a, a much higher likelihood that they wouldn't sue that they yeah. would actually understand this is a human mistake. Right. But if that doctor yeah. was disconnected and not you know, fully there, then they feel, well, he wasn't listening to me. He doesn't even care about me. I'm just another transaction. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious if, that, if you've seen or heard anything like that in law. I can't speak about malpractice based on what clients tell me. They want to hire a lawyer who looks at them as, as a human being yeah. and uh, as someone who has a story because they feel more connected to them again like uh, you know human connection and someone who genuinely cares about them and not not just the money that's going to come in and i think i've really tried to build my practice around that idea it's hard it, it's like something you wake up every day and you have to do have a daily practice with it something interesting i want to say because make sure that we have time i met a judge last week at our um, meditation group for lawyers who said this is fascinating. I've never seen it in a courtroom, but he said he has a strong meditation practice he's had for 25 years. And he says when lawyers come to his courtroom and before the start of a trial with the, there's jury and there's people present and there's all kinds of people in the courtroom, he says that before they get started, he asks them to sit for 60 seconds. Everybody be silent for 60 seconds. And that, and he says the lawyers sit and they, are suffering through the 60 seconds <laughs> that it is the most yeah. difficult 60 seconds for them to sit at that table and not just be silent take deep breaths before they start but he says he uses that because that's how he he gets the courtroom to ground the courtroom. right, that's right. That's that actually leads to my next question which is do you recommend meditation to your clients all the time and, and how, how, how do they respond to it? Because like if, if I'm going through an immigration case, there's so much stress, especially if I have a loved one I can't bring here. I can't imagine like how that feels for somebody. So how do they respond to that? Well, the, the response varies. Okay. I wish the response was more positive. But a lot of times when I do recommend it, they, they're so far uh, away into the story and into the suffering they can't see meditation as a way out yet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i mean i do suggest it sometimes they look at me funny they think i'm the you know the weird lawyer who's uh, offering meditation which you are i am a weird lawyer you're right but uh, again it, it's something that needs to be uh, you know taught and uh, there is a group I learned of recently that that offers meditation to immigrants. It's an immigrant meditation group that it's offered at Inside LA, actually, in the East Hollywood location. And once a month, I wish there was more available. I did suggest yoga to one of my clients once when she called me and she says she was depressed. She was really depressed. Her family wasn't here. They couldn't come because of the travel, the recent uh, travel ban for, for Iranians. And she's all here by herself and was going through a divorce. And she said, I just can't take it. I can't take it. I want to go home. I want to mm -hmm. go back. I want to be with my family. I said, well, if you go home, your case is over. You can't come back. Your green card will not be approved. And then you can't be let back in. And she's a young, young girl, you know, very achieved already, but just going through this bad time in her life. I said, and I just took a moment. I said, I have a suggestion for you. Do you do yoga? 
And she just kind of laughed. I said, well, do you, if you don't, have you tried? She's like, no, I've tried it a couple of times. I said, why don't you do this? You're asking my legal advice. I'm telling you, don't go. And then I suggest that you take 30 days. The next 30 days, don't buy a ticket. Hold off on buying a ticket. And then go to a yoga studio and, and do yoga twice a week, three times a week. See how you feel about your, your depressed state. And then call me back in 30 days. And if you're still depressed, then, you know, you're obviously free to go. Well, I didn't hear from her for a long time, but I knew she hadn't left because she was responding to my emails. She was still here. She's still here. I don't know if she's done the yoga, but she, she seems to be in a better state of mind now. I want to talk also briefly about this relationship between finding your internal center and the hustle that goes into mm. becoming successful. Yeah, that's that's such a it's like a one day workshop. <laughs> <laughs> no or more. Because um, you own your own practice. You I don't do. work for someone else. So you're not just lawyering, but you're also bringing in new business, building business, which yes. is two different things. So about a third if I were to look at my time spent I want to say about a third of the time goes into bringing in new cases mm -hmm. out so you're out literally outside you know doing the networking whatever it is that you need to be doing to bring in the business a third is just daily operation that's not really practicing law and the other third is practicing law mm -hmm. and and you know different lawyers do it differently some lawyers have somebody else handle most of their day-to-day -day operation i have someone who helps me with with some of the legal work I, I do have an assistant but when it comes down to it i end up doing a lot of the operation stuff myself which is like the basic uh, you know doing the accounting and and sending out the mail that needs to be done and all that so what the specific question is how is it, there is a balance you're trying to see how well, to keep the balance well i guess my question is so we already talked about that as you find your own center your relationship with your clients is different right you're able to be more present with them you're you're able to connect with them on a deeper human level and and that sets you apart from other lawyers has that kind of groundedness also allowed you to make more money with less hustle? I don't know if I've looked at it that way. I'll answer it my own way. I think that, first of all, I've learned that keeping grounded or keeping your grounds, however you do it, helps you get through the up and down. You become the tree root of mm -hmm. it and everything else is just you know, leaves, uh, branches. Yeah, so and when it doesn't rain for a while, you know that your roots are deep enough right. to sustain. So, yeah, exactly. So if the leaves fall, mm -hmm. you know, the, the tree is going through a cycle, but you're still rooted. Right. And, you know, you, you kind of get to a mode where you realize you're in the flow and things are in the flow and they're coming and you're, you're not, your tree root is still alive and, and strong. And being grounded internally, having find the center, it helps with that. Because you wake up in the morning and you realize, okay, the, the resilience is going to keep me grounded and then and then keep keep the flow going because you're in that flow already. I guess the, the main question is how to get to that point. It, the beginning part is very hard. Because the beginning building is the where, yeah, building, yeah, being present, right, being not not freaking out when all of a sudden you don't have any clients and no money coming in, 
because you have your own business and i think a lot of people listening to us are also entrepreneurs right even if they're not lawyers building the the idea in the head that you know the flow comes if you keep the ground i don't know if that right. makes sense every entrepreneur knows this there's up and down and then when it rains at some point it might stop raining for a while mm -hmm. so then the idea that is to to understand the concept that it will rain again yes and you don't give up in between Layla, now that you've been practicing immigration law for some time and you have a meditation practice are you do you have a, another shift in what you're doing with your career or do you do you see yourself kind of doing this for another decade two decades i don't know i think i think that i've gone to a point where i'm comfortable doing what i'm doing i'm helping a lot of people out uh, you know the uh, the times of practicing immigration law are very tough so i i'm actually you know a point where i'm not i'm not as stressed as i used to be in the beginning and i feel like i have i have now a way of handling things that are working and however more long i'm going to be practicing immigration law i can't answer that question but i'm also aware that i'm getting more into maybe leading groups or helping even helping other lawyers build uh, practices that are more mindful mm -hmm. something like that coaching other lawyers yeah. i think i might be transitioning into that at some point in the future i don't know when Well, you're an incredible networker. You're a connector. <laughs> She's the of people. Persian connector. <laughs> She's the Persian connector. That's what she was called last week. <laughs> Arjuna called me the Persian. He calls me the Persian connection. Well, Layla, this has been so much fun. It was great having you on. Before we sign off, do you have any last words of advice to a young lawyer out there who is starting up his or her career? and is in that boat that you were in, what would you say to them? If I knew everything I know now when I was 26 and graduated law school past the bar, what I would tell my my younger self or a recent graduate is that the money is not the means to the end. That, that the money that comes is not what is going to bring you happiness. Because everybody knows that, that lawyers make money Some lawyers make more money than other lawyers, right? Depending on what you do, what you practice. And you can you can live a good life with a good income as a lawyer, but it won't bring you happiness if you're not doing the real work to bring the happiness. Your You'll happiness. be faking it. Your happiness comes from inside. Right. Yeah. So look within and, and build the happiness from from within however where you do it i'm not i'm not suggesting that all lawyers go become meditators but however way you find happiness find the real happiness and not looking at it as i'm going to make all this money and i'm going to be happy and leila if somebody is looking for a immigration attorney how can they find you my website is klglawyers.com they can contact us through the go on the website con we have a contact form call our office send us an email I also have an Instagram. It's the same handle, at KLG Lawyers. Um, they can go contact us through the Instagram or, or uh, look at some of my very, very fascinating posts that I do. Uh, <laughs> and they're not boring. <laughs> I make them Send very... The <laughs> I, I make my immigration posts very bo uh, very fascinating. That's always a warning when somebody says they're not boring. Who, I mean, who wants to follow an immigrant... Who wants to follow a lawyer on Instagram, right? So you gotta, you gotta spice it up a little bit. I try to do that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you do. And uh, what's really entertaining is also all of the five-star reviews you have. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. How many are there? The people that I... the, the My clients who I did not like me for some reason didn't find the, the website to put the, the reviews. <laughs> All of your reviews are five star. That's really amazing. impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're biased because we love you. Oh, I love you. And thank you so much for driving across town and being here. Yeah. At the studio east with of us. the 405. Yes. You made it east of the 405. I had to meditate before that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You are completely Chant- right to do so. I was so. chanting my mantras to get here. Yeah. If you're not from LA, People on the west side of the 405 don't like to cross the 405, vice versa. Well, it takes People, an hour to yeah, cross. It does. It does. <laughs> Just going one mile can take you 45 minutes, which is crazy, but also true. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me and for not giving up on me and making sure that I get here and <laughs> yes, do this. This, this is fun. Thank you for prioritizing us. This was really fun. And if you want to connect with us, we are at Peace Unleashed on Instagram. That's where we share love notes with you every single day. And I have lives where I answer your questions about the internal world. So connect with us through that. And if you want to work with us at any capacity, check out peaceunleashed.com. And until next time, when we come back and dive into another aspect of the internal world, we wish you a peace-filled day.